I fought a good fight. I finished my football race. And after 18 years, it's time. The basketball players, we're really supposed to shut up and dribble, but I'm glad, I'm glad we did a little bit more than that. Eventually, every ball would go flat, but that doesn't mean that your life will flatline. What will you do when the game is over? Hello, all, and welcome to episode eight of the Endless Hustle podcast, where we're talking sports, but we're also taking you into the boardroom, the weight room, the locker room, the champagne room, the whole kit and caboodle here on The Hustle. I'm Bro Bible's Matt Cohan, and I'm joined, as always, by Celebrity Page TV's Arthur Cade. Arthur, talk to the people about today's guest. So, Nick Mangold, what a fucking career, right? Jets with 11 <laughs> seasons, seven-time Pro Bowler, probably the greatest center in franchise history there, national champion at Ohio State, baller at Ohio State. Yeah, I'd say Nick Mangold's done pretty well for himself, and now he's barbecue sauce aficionado. He started a barbecue sauce business called 74 Barbecue, and we talked to him all about it. I thought it was a freaking great interview. It was a great interview. And, you know, he seems like he's very content in his post-playing days. He's a family man. Now he's the coach of his son's Pop Warner team. I'm glad Mangold found a way to get into the food industry without going into the restaurant business. Because as we learned from our boy Sean Avery, our very first Endless Hustle guest, is that the restaurant industry is a sucker's game. Um, they say over 60% of all restaurants fail within their first three years of business and 75% are gone within five years. I'll use my economics degree to use here. Low barriers to entry, lots of competition, small margins, and that's to say nothing about how good the food is. They said Joe Thomas is a partner at multiple Mission Barbecue franchises, but then you have guys like, say, Dwayne Wade, who opened up a restaurant in Florida in 2008. And then a couple of years later was sued by his two partners for 25 million for not agreeing on expansion strategy. So they say it's not what you invest in, it's your lifestyle and then work to invest in that lifestyle. So I'm glad that Mangold has found that and it seems to be doing great for him. So go out and buy 74 barbecue sauce. What I found really fascinating in talking to Nick, Matt, was the hustle that's involved right now. I mean, here's a guy who's probably got millions in the bank former famous football player. And meanwhile, he's delivering the barbecue sauce like out of the back of his truck. And you're like, man, stars, they're just like us. Just like us weekly stars. Stars, they're just like us. The other thing that I thought was very interesting is he's incredibly involved in the design and the making of the product. He makes it himself. It's not just one of those situations where he lends his name or face to the brand. This is really his baby. And he's got a lot riding on it. So you realize so many times, like you see George Foreman, for instance, with the George Foreman grill, who was kind of the, the OG who started this whole trend. It's like his face is just there. I'm sure he's not in the back of his house in Houston making grills, but Nick Mangold is literally, I think in his basement with like a big tub of barbecue sauce, swirling it around and cooking it all day. So it's incredible what he's doing, the hustle, the startup. It's great. And the other thing that I thought was really fascinating is that a percentage of the proceeds are being donated to answer the call. And I've actually worked with that charity on the celebrity page side, and he's worked with it for years, but it's fantastic because it goes back to his New York roots with helping first responders. So I thought it was great. Nick Mangold, barbecue sauce aficionado, who knew? Yeah, man. Arthur Cade and Nick Mangold, you have something in common. Both uh, philanthropists, so credit goes to you guys. 
also both supermodels, as he talks about in the interview. We don't want to give away why, but Nick Mangold, supermodel. All right, guys, here's Nick Mangold. All right. We are over the moon to have on the Endless Hustle one of the best to ever wear a Jets uniform, seven-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and now a barbecue aficionado, Nick Mangold. Nick, thanks for making the time. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm so actually excited that you're getting in the barbecue game because nobody who looks like you has ever let me down in the food department. <laughs> you were born to be like a pit boss in Texas sweating over my food. So I'm excited to hear how 74 barbecue sauce uh, came to be. So my wife is uh, devious. For Father's Day, she got me every Father's Day since my son was born nine years ago. She gets me some sort of cooking device, utensil, something or other. And for the first one, she got me a big green egg. Um, and at the time, I, I was like, all right, you know, it's a grill. Yay. Like, whatever. Um, but then I had an assistant offensive line coach who, um, he's a uh, certified barbecue judge in Montana. And he comes in and he, I mean, he's just talking about barbecue. It's all he talks about every day. Um, you know, trying to find every barbecue spot that he can. And he sucked me in. Like he, he taught me everything. Um, I call him my guru. Um, he, he got me going on it. And so once I got, once I developed that passion for it, it just skyrocketed. Um, and I got tired of buying barbecue sauce uh, at the store because I just felt like I could do it better myself. You know, I've gotten pretty good in the kitchen. Um, and so I started taking recipes, mixing stuff together, trying to come up with something, um, found one that I liked, uh, got it, you know, pretty, pretty precise on, on what it was. I'd serve it at like, uh, anytime I'd have a barbecue or something, people coming over and, you know, you look, you serve stuff to people and when they're looking at you face to face, not going to be like, no, this, this is trash. Get out of here. Um. Always, you know, they say it's good. And I, so I never really knew it. I liked it. And so that's all that mattered. It got to a point where uh, I was done playing and I was looking for something to do, a passion project. Um, and I was bouncing around with my partner and he, uh, he goes, well, you know, your barbecue sauce, want, maybe we could bottle that and sell that. I was like, I don't know. I mean, I like it. I just, I don't know if anybody else does. He's like, all right, make me a batch. I'll take it around. We'll do a small little sampling, you know, and see what kind of feedback we get. He took around. We got great feedback. So he's like, all right, let's do this. Um, that was probably about a year and a half ago. Um, come to find out the process is long, um, starting up a, a barbecue sauce. Um, and so we had our first production run come out in uh, March 22nd of 2020, which was perfect timing, um, you know, uh, pandemic wise. So it's been slow going, uh, you know, I'm, I'm delivering out of my, the back of my car uh, for my local spots here, but uh, it, it's doing well. I wish I could do more. I wish I could hold, you know, tailgate events and, and tailgate parties, but hopefully that'll come. This is kind of like our soft opening we're calling it. Um, uh, but it's been a lot of fun because it's, like I said, it's a passion project. I like barbecue. Um, and it, it also gives me, uh, something to, to make, you know, I was a, a technically I was an entertainer, um, in, in the NFL. Um, and now, you know, other than my four kids, I'd never really made anything in my life. Um, and so now I have something that I make and, uh, that's pretty special. Nick, I want to talk to you about diet because I remember when Joe Thomas retired, 
and there was pictures of him and he had a monster glow up. The guy looked like a supermodel after retiring. I want to talk to you about as an offensive lineman, what does your diet look like when you have to be at maximum weight versus when you retire and you're now just normal human Nick Mangold? Yeah, it's um, it's a big switch because as you're going through the NFL and you're working out and you're playing, uh, you're just burning through calories. Um, and so to, to maintain, you got to continue to continuously eat. And when you're done playing, you have to make that mental note like, hey, no matter you know what I go do for an exercise, it's not going to be like going through practice. Um, and so uh, really focusing on cutting back. Um, you know, Joe did a great job. A lot of, there's a lot of guys who, um, have done the like six months turnaround, um, which is crazy. Cause you know, there are a bunch of guys who, uh, really struggle maintaining weight, which sounds funny, but you know, it, it, it is a real thing. Uh, Alan Fanica was another one. He, um, he took eight months and I remember talking to his wife, he dropped a hundred and I think he dropped oh, about a hundred pounds, um, and started running like marathons and stuff, which I found crazy. Um, I was talking to his wife and she was saying, oh, you know, he was real diligent about uh, weighing the food that he was eating, you know, counting the calories, really specific about it. And I was like, oh, you mean so the way that he psychotically went about playing football, he just turned to his dieting. She's like, yes, exactly. That's what he did. Um, I don't have that psychotic turn on food. Um, I'm doing a lot better, but uh, I don't know if I'm going to have the glow up that uh, Joe Thomas had. Yeah, I mean, you've already you've always been had a passion for food throughout your career, which I imagine is a necessity to be a 300 pound lineman. I've always wanted to be a fly on the wall of these positional dinners at steakhouses or whatnot. You know, you played alongside some big boys, the Brickishaw Ferguson, Matt Slauson. Do you recall any particularly gluttonous nights out? Ooh, uh, yeah, I mean, there were plenty of nights out. But the biggest one that I can remember, I, in the spring, I always held a barbecue for the offensive line, you know, just a way for us to get together outside the field, not at a restaurant, you know, somewhere where we can just be ourselves, no cameras, no nothing, like just just hanging out. And this was when Ron Heller was there, the my guru. So he wanted to be a part of it too, you know, he, anything barbecue he wanted to be a part of. So we ended up cooking. Uh, I mean, there were, I think there was probably 13 guys. And we ended up cooking um eight racks of ribs uh two full briskets um i think we did two pork butts we had a, a roll of sausage um we did uh burgers for everybody um and then all the sides and i don't think we had too much left over um it was just it was a barbecue meat fest um that was probably easily the biggest one i've ever done what did your normal diet look like when you were playing? What did a, a day in the life of Nick Mangold eating look like? Um, it was usually pretty scattered. You know, I, I wasn't one of the guys that was very uh, rigid, like, all right, I need to get this amount of carbs at breakfast and, you know, this amount of fats at lunch and everything. Um, mine was pretty much just normal, just a lot of it. Um, you know, big omelet for breakfast and, and oatmeal, uh, fruit, and then, uh, the Jets cafeteria, uh, they do a great job. They present a bunch of options for lunch. Um, and then, you know, during training camp and everything, dinner as well. So it was basically just a big smorgasbord. I want to transition from your kind of post-retirement life. I know you mentioned that after you hung up the cleats that you started to become more involved with your kids and you became a youth football coach. 
that stuff is obviously, you know, what life is about, but was there like a competition hangover that you had to overcome knowing that you'll never run out of that tunnel and compete on that stage again? Um, yeah, a little bit. It was, it was weird, you know, coming out of it. I, uh, after being hurt, um, and then taking that year off and then, you know, really deciding to retire, I, I think I announced retirement in 2018, uh, in the spring of 2018, my fourth child was born in the fall of 2018. Um, and so that's where like the kind of, uh, that competitive fog, um, funk really came in because it was the first time that I didn't have anything to do while having a newborn. Um, all my other newborns were, um, you know, at least somewhere around football. Um, and so and going three to four is, I, I will tell everybody, for me was the hardest, um, biggest transition. And so I was kind of in like this, this fog from like September till January. Um, where it was like, I just, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how, how we're surviving poor children. This is ridiculous. Um, and that's when, um, I, I was doing something with, uh, uh, your call football, um, which I think Barstool was doing it. And, uh, my buddy Willie, um, asked if I'd come and, and you know, help out in, in the team. And it was kind of a weird setup. Like you called plays, but the coach actually called them. And you got points, like how things did. It was, it was a lot of fun. But I realized, and we ended up winning. And as soon as it, we won and it was over, I was like, holy crap, this is like the first competitive thing that I've actually done um, since playing. And I was like, feels good to win again. This is kind of nice. I need to start finding stuff I can win at. Um, and so that was, that was weird. That was kind of like that. I didn't notice it before that until, we, until I won that thing. And I was like, oh, wow, like that's competition. Like, I, I, I forgot about that. that. That stuff's great. Speaking of winning, you got to do a photo shoot with Kate Upton when the Super Bowl was here in New York, New Jersey. Did you almost give up football to become a supermodel? It was very close. And uh, there's a funny story to that one, too. I was doing a photo shoot for Pepsi. Uh, that, let's see, I think we did that in the fall. Uh, it was during the season. Um, I did the photo shoot for Pepsi was in the spring and it was for uh, breast cancer awareness month. Pepsi was doing a big blast and they even flew, they flew out, were flying guys out to Vegas to do this. And they were doing every one player from every team. And it was a big thing. And the idea was it was with uh, Sophia Viarga um, from modern family. Yeah. I've heard of her. I've heard. Yeah. Um, and so I'm flying out to Vegas. It's me and my wife. And I'm like, holy crap, like, I'm going to meet Sophia, like, this is uh, pretty cool, and it was all, you know, all gung-ho, and um, we get out there, I get dressed, I got all the pink gear and everything, and they're like, all right, you ready to take pictures? They're like, yeah, where's Sophia? They're like, oh, we're just going to Photoshop her in, don't worry about it. So it's like, oh, man, so after being burned on a photo shoot, I get the call about this one, um, at first, I misheard him and thought it was Oprah magazine. I thought it was O magazine. I was like, well, that's weird, but whatever. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be for the Super Bowl, and it's going to be with Kate Upton. And I was like, hey, okay, guys. Like, I, <laughs> I've done this before. Like, I get it. Um, and so I went to the stadium. I got dressed. You know, they're out on the field taking pictures. They're probably going to take yours uh, in the tunnel. Uh, but you could go out there, because I think the Brick Shaw was doing it at 10. So I went to see him, and there's Kate sitting in there. I was like, 
oh, she's actually here. This is amazing. Um, and then I found out it's for GQ. I was like, well, I'm just a male model now. You know, everyone thought Sanchez was the male model, but I think I won in that category. I'd have to agree there. <laughs> Speaking of uh, sexiness here, this center position isn't exactly the sexiest position. The average fan doesn't really know the skill set required to be a good lineman in general. Uh, your position coach at Ohio State, you know, praised your knowledge of the position coming out of high school. And I think that was like kind of a theme throughout your career being very cerebral. Outside of being big and strong, what are the tools that you need to succeed at the at that position at the highest level? I found out why no one pays attention to the, the offensive line um, now being out of the game. Uh, as a fan watching uh, the games at home, for some reason, the camera follows the ball. Um, so you see the offensive line line up. And then that's pretty much all you all you witness. Like I, I'm trying to watch, you know, uh, our, the Jets have the rookie Mackay Becton. I mean, it's massive, and I'm trying to focus in on him. And like every time, I'll see the first two steps, and then you know they follow the ball for some reason. So I, I understand why offensive line is, is uh, a lesser position in, in fans' minds. But for me, center. I started playing center in seventh grade. That's when our center uh, broke his hand. They asked if anybody could snap. Uh, I said, I'll I'll try. Um, and then I was hooked from then on. For me, it was kind of, it was the idea that, like, I, I knew I was never going to be a quarterback. Um, I don't have a great arm, and I'm really not the typical size. So it was like, I know I'm, I'm never going to be a quarterback. These things, these are handed to me. Um, but center, to me, is the closest thing to a quarterback um, with the way that you have to uh, process information, spit it back out, get your guys in line, uh, make sure everyone's on the same page, um, and spend a lot of time studying. And so uh, it, it, I love the game of football. I love the game. The chess match is the game within the game. Um, and so I think the, the you know, being able to, to know your stuff, um, because everyone asks the center what to do. Um, you know, that's kind of the overall thing, you know, be like, hey, who are we blocking? I'm like, all right, well, we got to do this or we got to do that. And so um, if you don't know what you're doing, um, you're not going to be able to know what other people are doing. Um, and so that was kind of a, a big thing for me. It was always I need to know what not only what I'm doing, but the, what the rest of us are doing. And then uh, I had an offensive line coach in, in college, Jim Bowman. He said, you know, to be great at center, it, it's not enough to know what to do. You need to know why you're doing it. Um, and I thought that was pretty impressive for an offensive line. Like, why are we running this zone play this way? Like, what, what's the theory behind it, and why should we do that? So um, I, I thought that was a big help for me. I know you're friends with Mark Sanchez, and your former special teams coach, Mike Westhoff, just absolutely crushed him, saying he couldn't throw a him. Jeez. <laughs> like, <laughs> Bam, Westy. Westy went hard there. This is kind of a multi-part question. Part one is, is there a code where a coach shouldn't come back on a player and absolutely bazooka him like this? And then secondly, being friends with Sanchez and you hear something like that, is there a feeling inside like, I've got to respond and bazooka back? Um, no. Uh, the last part, no. Um, you know, Mark's a big boy. He, he can handle it. I don't like getting into the, the war of words with people because, you know, just it, it's never ending. I think Westhoff dropping the bomb like that, he couldn't even hit the lake. I think everyone takes that with a grain of salt because obviously Mark had some amazing throws. Um, so if he couldn't hit a lake, uh, he, he probably, he'd be in the Tebow status. But, you know, Mark had some great throws. 
And as far as a coach dropping bombs, specific players, usually you only see that from Rex. Um, So Westoff uh, doing it was, it was pretty funny, but you know, it's just, it's one of those things that everyone has their opinion. um, And some people I think are trying to do things more for entertainment value. Um, I don't know Westy's reasoning. I don't know if he wants to get back in, if that was his lob to to come back and coach the Jets. Um, You know, so I, I don't, you always got to look at, you know, the, the why of why someone says something. Um, but that was – I read that this morning. I was like, jeez, he just nuked him. It was crazy. Have you ever had a coach nuke you before? And when they do, what's kind of going through your mind at that point? Um, I've never had one come out and publicly be, you know, that Nick couldn't block, you know, uh, little sister of the four. Um, <laughs> that would be pretty terrible. I have been – I mean, I've been skewered in team meetings and everything. Um, and that's bad enough, um, because, you know, when you know you did something wrong, like that's the worst part of watching film after a game is you never remember any of the good plays. You know, there's always those three or four bad plays where you're like, that's just going to come back to bite me. Like, I know I'm going to hear about it. And so then you spend the whole Sunday night being like, ah, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. Then you get in the team room and then it comes and it's still worse than what you thought it was going to be. Um, so that that does suck. You mentioned uh, Tebow, and I know the Jets were one of several teams who underwent the Tim Tebow experiment in 2012. I think you went six and ten that year. Sorry to bring it up, but uh, with Tim don't worry, he- wasn't wasn't one of our worst years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It was middle of the road there. Uh, but with like Tim Tebow being, you know, the eternal optimist, how was his demeanor in the locker room that year? And do you have any other kind of Tim Tebow stories? I know the media liked to play him up. Was that kind of annoying to, to teammates? Yeah, I think the machine of Tebow, like the whole production around him is crazy. Um, that whole Tebow mania, that whole craziness. Um, can we curse on this show? Oh, fuck yeah. Fire away, dude. Okay, good. Uh, we had to play – it was a, a – why oh shit screen uh where you know the the tight end actually fakes like he fell down on a running play hops up runs back over throw it back to the 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 tight end and it's usually wide open um and he comes in you know he was backup quarterback so he'd run you know one or two plays each week um and he comes in and you know he's got the script there and everything and he goes starts reading it he goes through the whole formation and gets to the, the last play is why. All right. Screen. You guys know what, it, you know what it is. And we're like, no, Tim, what is it? And he goes, no, nah, I'm not, no, nah, I'm not going to say it. I'm like, I don't know what the play is then. I don't, you got to be able to say it. So, I mean, I think we ended up getting yelled at for that because we were taking forever in the huddle, but it was like, I, I don't know what the, why you guys know what it is. Screen is. I, I don't know what it is. Um, so I, I found that to be pretty funny. Did he ever end up saying it or no? Was he just, you know, the Lord was looking down on him at that point and he couldn't. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he did. I don't remember. I remember, I remember more of the lead up. I don't remember what happened with it. Um, but the lead up was enough. <laughs> Do you guys actually question him about the virgin status? Is it like, Tim, you got to tell us the truth. Are you really still a virgin? Cause I would hammer the guy. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was the whole thing. Um, I had a t-shirt made up during training camp because um, it, it, it was uh, – who was the sprinter? Lolo, Lolo Jones? Lolo, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, I mean, we were, we were making that, that – blowing that up during training camp like no one's business. Like, 
I think I wore a t-shirt where it's like he prefers chocolate milk or something like at Lolo Jones it was something like that we had a lot of fun with it hilarious I want to talk a little bit about Fireman Ed I mean this guy has been a thorn in my side for you know as, as long as I can remember you know he he bailed during a season in 2012 when you guys weren't having having a great season after going back to back you know AFC conference championships but is Fireman Ed someone that the players look at from afar? Or do they have an actual relationship with this guy? You know, give me the deets on Fireman Ed here. Um, I don't. I I think some older players did um, when it was more NFL was a little bit more accessible. You know, I think like I remember hearing guys talk like uh, Klecko and Gaston would be like, "Yeah, you know, we'd stop by a tailgate before going into the game." Like, what? <laughs> this is ridiculous. So. I think um, for some of the older guys, it was a little bit more accessible. But I think for me, you know, one of the one of the biggest things that Fireman Ed brought to the table um, was the Jets chant, which you know, when when we were rocking, um, it it's one of the best chants I think in football. Like the whole stadium's going crazy; it gets eerily silent. Um, and so, you know, when he uh, when he bailed, um, which I was disappointed in. Um, because it was like, you know, we're still here too, you know, but you know, you, you're jump ship, but like the chant, the chant pretty much died. Um, and it was, um, that was, I think the, the biggest loss of it because there was no, no cohesiveness to how it was going to be done. Um, which I was shocked by the, just the fact that it was like, I feel like it should have been better coordinated. Um, because that was one of the big things that, you know, having that Jets chant, I really enjoyed it. So as an athlete in New York, you get to do a lot of cool shit. But the hardest ticket in town is the Met Gala. They were filming the new Female Oceans movie. You went with Matt Harvey. So you got to walk me through the experience of watching a movie being filmed around you. We were at the Met Museum. Um, it was not during the Met Gala. Um, those were all extras and everything. Um, and then I, I think I was the starring role of that movie. Um, they didn't give me credit for it, but you know, whatever. Um, but it was really neat. It was really weird. Um, it, it, I don't even know how it came about. They called and said, Hey, do you want to do this? I was like, yeah, of course. Um, and we get there, they have this, uh, we filmed in the middle of the night. So I think we got there at midnight. Um, they had a, what they called a blue room, um, because it was all sponsored by Johnny Walker blue. Um, and so it's me, Matt Harvey, uh, I think the Winklevoss twins were there. Um, Olivia Munn. The only reason I, I kind of thought that I would make the final cut of the movie, even if it is for, I think, all of May, uh, second and a half, um, was I was standing right next to Olivia Munn when we were doing the stair scenes. Um, so she was wearing this bright yellow dress. I'm like, well, if I'm next to her, I'm definitely making it in. Um, and so I, I was pretty excited about that. But it's all these people, and they were fashion designers, and, and one of the famous tennis ladies. Um, and we're all just there hanging out, and a huge production. They have all these extras and everything, and they're all moving around. I mean, we filmed for maybe all of 30 minutes. We were there probably four hours or so. But we're all just sitting there in the Johnny Walker room, drinking, having a good time, like everything was normal. I was like, this is not normal. Like, I don't know where I am. I don't know what's going on. This is crazy. Um, so it, it was a lot of fun. Do they know who you are, Nick? Are you sitting there and they're like, yo, dude, big fan? 
Um, I would say 50-50. Like, I knew who Matt was, and, and Matt knew who I was. So we kind of stood together for the most of the part. We were hanging out together. Um, but it was just as we were moving around. Like, I don't think the, the Winklewoss or Winklewoss or whatever the twin's name, um, I don't think they have a clue who I am. Um, didn't expect them robot, to. So. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, like, there, it was, I would say, a mixed bag. Nick, I went to a, an all-boys Catholic school, and one of my uh, high school, and one of my classmates saw my history teacher just hammered it out back steakhouse, like just blind drunk at the bar. And for the rest of the year, I'm not sure there was a day that he wasn't reminded of it. You're in your fifth year in the league. You're in the midst of back-to-back -back, uh, conference championship appearances, and news breaks that your teacher may have a fetish for feet. Was it a don't ask, don't tell policy in the locker room? Was, or was Rex a little more lax behind the scenes? Because in the media, he was playing that like personal matter card frequently. Yeah, he was definitely playing the personal card. And it was kind of one of those things that there were some jokes made. And then um, it was kind of let go after that. Just because, um, you know, I, I think we all knew his wife. And so, like, if we're if we're making these jokes and like we're like, oh, all right, well, we know who she is too, so it might be a little personal. Um, and it was just it was kind of one of those things where it was it was funny, and he'd make a throwaway joke every once in a while, um, you know, just poking fun. I think at the fact that it was a story, um, and so it was it wasn't as taboo as like, oh, you, hush hush, you can't say anything about it. Um, but it also wasn't overly. I mean, there was a lot more that uh, we made fun of Rex for, um, especially once he became Skinny Rex. I mean, once he came, became Skinny Rex, uh, the jokes were just flying because Fat Rex was hilarious. Um, and like Skinny Rex lost his sense of humor. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And that movie, Funny People, they say nobody wants to see Lance Armstrong do comedy. It's so true. Everybody, you know, you're always funnier when you're fat. You know, that's why you got such a great personality. Don't lose it. Yeah, don't lose it. And what I still find funny is that he he has the ability still um, to troll just as well as he did as a coach. Um, I remember, I think it was last year, he came out and said something about Baker Mayfield. Um, and then Baker said something after the game in response to, to Rex. Um, he was like, you know, only people that can say something are wearing brown and white for the Browns. And so the next Sunday, Rex is doing a show in a brown suit with an orange tie um, and a white shirt. Um, and it was very subtle, and I don't think a lot of people noticed it. Uh, but, like, when I saw it, I was like, that's just classic Rex. Like, yeah. that is just trolling perfectly. Like, so now he's going he's gonna to talk about Baker and be like, hey, listen, I'm wearing – I got the brown and orange on. Like, what do you want me to do? What was his reaction when Welker got up there and had all those innuendos about feet? Did he mention that at all? Because that, that blew up in the media. That did. Um, that was such a crazy time. I remember that coming down. And I, I don't remember uh, if Rex said anything about it. But I do find it funny that, you know, Bill benched him for a quarter, I think. Yeah. Was it the first quarter? Yeah. Um, and I was like, that's funny that he would – he would give up a competitive advantage just to make a point. When you guys look at Belichick and obviously Brady was there forever and you guys had to face off against them twice, twice a season, what was the mystique? Did you guys just hate Belichick? Was there an admiration? What was the internal feeling with the team? 
Um, I think it was, there was always respect, but I didn't like him, you know, the respect that he's a fantastic coach and, you know, his teams were always, uh, really well prepared and, and played hard and, and, and did really well. Um, but, you know, having to go against them, um, and it always seemed like when they, when the Jets and Patriots were playing, he always had extra gruff about them. Um, you know, and so there's, I think there's that, that long history, um, between Bill and the Jets and it's just, uh, you know, it's really off-putting. I want to also ask you about ownership because ownership is such an important part of a team's success and longevity. And the Mets just got bought by Steve Cohen. He's now the richest owner in baseball. The guy's got over $14 billion. What are your thoughts on when a guy as high profile as Steve Cohen comes in and buys a franchise that has had been just shit for so long? Um, I know it's got the Mets fans jazzed up, um, which is excited to see because uh, they've been beaten down um, for so long. But, you know, I, I, I just hope that he does what they want him to do, you know, and, and win ball games and get players and everything. Um, you know, I think there's a special, um, a special way of being a, an owner of a sports team. Um, you know, I, I don't know what that miracle um, – potion looks like because uh no one's given me the opportunity um but you know i think to own a sports team you obviously have the passion for whatever sport it is um otherwise you wouldn't get into the business um but then at the same time you realize well you know especially the nfl it's like printing money it just keeps growing and growing um so i hope you know everyone talks about how uh uncle stevie's got all this money um but if he doesn't spend it you know is it going to matter? Has he come out and said that I'm going to, you know, be the we're going to be the highest payroll in baseball? Um, and so it, it's going to be interesting to see is is he going to have his hands really deep into the organization, or is he going to have a baseball guy and just be like, listen, you know, they're making all the decisions. I'm just here for the good time. You obviously had so much success individually as a player, but had some really tough years with the franchise. What's that dynamic like when you're one of the best or the best at your position, but the team is just having shit years. It's tricky. You know, it, it, it sucks um, going through it because, you know, as I think every player um, in the NFL goes into a season thinking, all right, this year's our year. Like, you know, we're, we're going to do it. Um, we're, you know, we put all this work in, you know, we're going to play these games. It's going to be tough, um, but we're going to grind it out. And like, you know, we're making the playoffs this year. I think, if you went into a season uh, with any other mindset, um, you'd instantly be done. Looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. There were some years have been like, <laughs> we aren't winning shit this year. Um, and so it, it's not so much the individual success versus the team success, um, because I've always said I would give up every individual accolade for a, a Super Bowl ring. Um, so, you know, it, while it, it was fantastic to have, I think if having a ring um, would be, you know, a hundred times better. Yeah. What do you think of there? There's a new kind of trend now of like players auctioning off their Super Bowl rings. We saw a couple guy, a guy on the practice squad of the Chiefs did it. Um, what is your what is your take on that? It, it's either really sad because they're in a bad place where you know they need the money um or you know they're just doing it because they don't really care about it 
So I think overall, that's sad too. I also find it weird that people would want to buy it. Um, I don't know, like, I, I don't understand what good it would be like, hey, in, you know, on my mantle, I have the practice squad player um, from the 1990s Cowboys teams that won Super Bowls. I got one of his rings. Like, you're not going to wear it. Um, and, and then why, I can't imagine going over someone's house and they'd be like, yeah, like, I've got this Super Bowl ring from, um, you know, nobody. And it'd be like, that's cool. Like, so you, you didn't win it, like, you, but you're displaying it. Like, that's weird. Um, so I don't, I don't really understand that. Yeah, you mentioned that you'd give up all of your, your personal accolades for a Super Bowl ring. I know you and Kevin Mawai are the best centers in franchise, franchise history, but the center position isn't often rewarded in Canton. You know, the Hall of Fame is pretty much the ultimate validation of a player's career. Do you crave that feather in your cap or does your full body of work let you sleep easy at night? Um, I don't crave it. I think it would be absolutely amazing um but i think the big thing for me is i've had this outlook uh college coach told me this um early on was like only worry about the things that you can change um if you can't change it don't worry about it um and so hall of fame kind of falls into that category there's nothing i can do now um that would change it uh so i don't really worry about it uh if it happens it will be phenomenal and unbelievable and you know really amazing but at the same time i'm not going to lose sleep um any night that i'm eligible that am i going to make it in is this going to be the year um if it happens awesome if it doesn't um you know i did as much as i could to put my my resume um out there speaking of college i did this tour with my buddies a long time ago where we decided we were going to hit all the historic stadiums in college football and obviously, we made a stop at the horseshoe. And until you've been to the horseshoe and really experienced what Ohio State football is, you can't really understand what that fandom means to that town, to, to the players, to everything. You're this all-American at Ohio State. You're the best of the best. You're going to be a high draft pick. You're a superstar. What's it like when you're in that position at an institution like Ohio State? Ohio State was amazing. And like, now being up on the East Coast, and hearing people talk about college football and, and I, I try to tell them, Hey, you know, it, it's, it's nothing like back in, in Ohio. And they go, Oh, it can't be that much more. I'm like, okay. He's like, I've been to a Penn state game. He's like, yeah, a Penn state game while they're crazy. Um, there's still nothing like a, an Ohio state game. Um, especially an Ohio state Michigan game, um, with everything on the line. So it's an amazing place. Awesome place to go to school. Um, but for me, what was kind of nice is I lived with, um, AJ Hawk for all four years. We were both, uh, from the same hometown. We played peewees together. So I knew him. I was like, Hey, you want to room together? Yeah. And then we lived in the dorms for like seven months and moved out because we both hated the dorms. Um, and then we lived in the same house for the, the rest of the time at Ohio state. Um, cause we both also didn't like moving. And so to see him who was, the absolute best of the best. Like he is, you know, one of the most uh, decorated linebackers for Ohio state and all the history. Um, I kind of got to play second fiddle and which was kind of nice. Cause you know, AJ had to do all, all the crazy stuff. Um, and he did really well. And I mean, he was a hell of a player. Um, and so I just kind of got to skate by and um, stay a little bit under the radar. 
Um, but we had a, we had a lot of fun and it was interesting cause we did live together. Um, and he grew his hair out for senior year. The amount of people that would mistake the two of us, um, which I found funny. Um, and I appreciated, uh, he didn't like it so much cause I think he played at like 240. Um, and I was sitting at like 300. He goes, how the hell do, does someone think that you're me and I'm you? I was like, I don't know, but they think I'm 240. This is great. <laughs> you guys had a pet alligator too. How did that happen? Uh, I, I'm not really sure. We knew we couldn't get a dog. Um, the house wouldn't let us have a dog. Uh, so we wanted something else and we didn't. Um, AJ actually grew up with piranhas. Um, yeah, I think he had three piranhas in a fish tank. So he's like, I've already done fish. You know, I don't want to do fish. And so we went to the pet store, the local pet store on the college campus. And it was like a skeevy joint. Like it did, probably should not have been operating. Um, they had two alligators there. One was, uh, it was about two feet um, and pretty grown and everything. And we went with the smaller 12-inch um, one, uh, which was probably a smart decision. Um, and we were like, all right, well, let's get an alligator. So, uh, we had an alligator whose name was Jimmy, Jimmy, the alligator. Um, and it was, he was pretty cool. Like I found out, you know, if you flip an alligator over, they pass out, um, which is <laughs> kind of funny. Um, and like, we'd let him run around, uh, every once in a while, get him out of his cage and let him just kind of run around the living room. Um, you know, cause his teeth, he was still so young, his teeth. Um, it was kind of, it was almost it, not like a needle, um, but it was like a, the point of a pen. So it, it would kind of hurt a little bit if he really chopped down, but he wasn't breaking skin or anything. Um, and so it, it, we had a lot of fun with Jimmy. You feed him goldfish, like watching him eat a goldfish was amazing. Like just chomp down on it, wiggle it around and then just suck the thing down. Um, so it, we had, a, we had a lot of fun with Jimmy. I always think if I was a college football player, I would want to play for one of those big character, cartoon character-ish coaches. Like Coach O at LSU is that guy right now. Who's one guy that you, besides someone you already played for, that if you could go back in time and re-choose a coach, who's that guy you're playing for? Uh, I think right now it would be Coach O. If I could go play for Coach O, that would be hilarious. Um, I think he's just got to be a riot uh, to be around. Um, and so it, it's fun seeing – coaches who have fun with it. Like, I don't think playing for Nick Saban would be all that much fun. Um, it, it does not look like fun at all. Um, but, you know, I enjoyed my time with, with Coach Tressel um, because he was kind of a cartoon figure in the way that it was like the sweater vest and the preppiness and everything. Um, but he also had a good sense of humor. Um, so you kind of get the best of both worlds. Um, and, and, you know, it, it was we had a lot of fun together. Coach O was recently seen with a with a girl half his age, so, you know, in some pool. He was looked like he was living up the dream. So yeah, he seems like he'd be a blast to be around. <laughs> yeah, he won a national championship. Do do whatever he wants. Yeah, when you're dealing with Michigan OSU, if you guys lose, and obviously Tressel was getting hammered when you guys lo would lose, what's that like when you're dealing with that type of rivalry? Is it literally life or death on campus at that time? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's like a bad funeral. Um, if you lose, like everyone's just in mourning. Um, no one's doing anything. I was very fortunate that I only had one loss, um, to Michigan. I went three, three and one. Um, and we lost up in, in uh, in Michigan. So, um, you know, it, it was, 
it was definitely like a dark, weird feeling, but the joy after beating Michigan, um, you know, is something that is, uh, is amazing. You had a fun little comment after you retired about running for Congress, and you were obviously joking, but the New York media went nuts with it. When you look at obviously the political landscape right now, any chance we ever may see Nick Mangold for Congress? No, that was that was actually a funny story. There, uh, there was a guy there. Um, he's one of the uh, one of the Republican guys in the local area. Um, he got a hold of me and goes, you, "You know, we have an opening. Uh, we were hoping you might run." I was like, "Well, first off, you guys didn't do any homework because I haven't graduated college yet. Um, so <laughs> you might you might not want to throw that out there." Um, and it, it, I was just done playing, and I was like, "I can't." Like, I'm not even entertaining this right now. Like, it's not the right time. Um, and so the guy's like, all right, you know, we got a couple of people um, on the fence that we're trying to get to do it as well. You know, do you mind if I tell them um, that you might be considering um, and see if that pushes them over the top to join in? Um, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, man. I, I don't care. Uh, next thing you know, it was like two hours later, I see the first tweet uh, that I'm considering a run for Congress. It was like, and then it just, it went, it blew up. And I, I called the guy back. I'm like, um, I thought you were telling like two people. And he goes, yeah, I don't know how it got out. I was like, yo, okay. <laughs> and so um, I, I found it hilarious that um, in my life, I've had to make a statement um, on Twitter, and put out a, a, a PR statement that I am not running for Congress. <laughs> All right, Dick, who, who's your, the best defensive lineman you've ever faced off against? Uh, Vince Wilford. Giving a Patriots guy a nod there. That's brave of you. Yeah, well, no, I mean, so the way I look at Vince, it's two, two aspects that made him um, one of the most difficult players that I've ever played against. Um, one, you look at him, right, and he's huge. So you know it's going to be a long day at the office because even if he doesn't like, have the muscle power, it's still going to be crazy hard to, to move him out of the way. Um, but then he does, and he's got the strength. And he, so he's strong as an ox, and he's huge. And then to, to put on top of that, he's athletic. Like, he could dunk a basketball. Um, and so you put those three things together, like, oh, man, the, the long day at the office. And then the second part of it is that we went against each other. Um, I think we had 23 or 24 battles over uh, my career. Um, and so when you go that long, uh, against the same guy, like I knew his tricks, he knew my tricks. Um, and you know, we, we both had a great understanding of each other. Um, and so then it gets extra hard because you can't surprise him with anything because he knows everything. Um, so he, he definitely gets the nod. Your sister Holly was an Olympian. What's it like growing up with two essentially professional athletes in the family? Uh, well, I mean, the nice part is growing up, you don't know, um, you know, now it's funny, um, because she'll always joke, like, it sucks that you're the second famous Mangold, um, and, you know, and then I'm like, well, I guess you could, could be considered, so then there's a, always that argument, um, but it's pretty neat, you know, proud of her for what she was able to do, I mean, she came in 10th, uh, in women's weightlifting, um, in the world. Um, I, I've always been jealous of the fact of, of people that get to compete in the Olympics um, because I played a sport that wasn't in the Olympics. So I never got to compete for the United States. 
Um, so I'm always jealous of those guys uh, that are able to do that because it's uh, I think it's something very special uh, to be able to compete for uh, your country. Sanchez was just on The Masked Singer. Did you know? I mean, what what is there like a group text amongst former Jets when this is all happening? No, I mean, we had no idea. I didn't even know. So um, I have my head in the sand because we're running around like um, crazy people with the kids. I didn't even know Mass Singer was back on. Um, I, I assumed it was all reruns. So I saw something it was like Today's Show or something like that. It was um, they were doing a recap of it and the, the um, alien um, little alien guy. And I was like, you know, they, I was like, that's getting weird. Like they're, they're really getting crazy. Um, and then all of a sudden I saw him put out a video about it. And I was like, well, this is weird. Um, and then diving down the rabbit hole, I was like, holy crap, he was on there. Um, so, I mean, I text him, I ended up doing, I entered, or I had him on for a piece of content, uh, where we got to talk about it, which was pretty cool, um, on my grilled segment for the Jets. Um, and it, you know, it's just, it's funny to see where everybody goes, um, and, and how they do things. Like I just saw a, a picture of Fitzpatrick wearing, um, crazy tight shorts, um, at a Dolphins practice. No idea why, but you know, I saw it. And I was like, eh, yeah, that that's fixed. Um, so it, it, it's funny to see uh, what people do, you know, as they go on. Who has the better beard, you or Fitz? Uh, Fitz does only because I think he keeps it well-groomed. Um, I am not as diligent with the, the barbershop trips. Uh, so he, he stays, he keeps it tight. I mean, it's still long, but he keeps a, a tight look on it. Um, where I, I grow mine purely out of laziness. Fitz is one of the most beloved players out there. He's one of those guys that no matter what team he ends up on, you'll hear the stories of, yo, we just fucking love this guy. Did you guys just fucking love him? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember I got a text from Eric Wood who played with him in Buffalo um, after he, after Fitz signed with us and he goes, you're going to love him. And I was like, all right. And I was like, I, you know, sure, maybe. Um, and then what I think really, um, really sealed at home for me, everyone loves him, um, you know, down the line. But Fitz was the first quarterback that I played with that was my age. Um, you know, all, everyone before that was either older or younger. Um, so me being able to make like a Fraggle Rock reference um, and him to understand it, you know, it was pretty cool. And then, you know, he also has a great love of Star Wars. Um, so we started adding uh, Star Wars calls to our packages, um, which we had a lot of fun with. Um, and so it, it's just, it, it's neat. He's just, he's so smart, but he's not like, he's not the annoying smart. Um, you know, you know, he's smarter than everybody else in the room. And there's the annoying people that will have to tell you that they're the smartest person in the room. Whereas he'd much rather be the smartest person in the room, but then just be really cool about it. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so I've got to hear the name of a Star Wars play that you and Fitz had. Um, well, a lot of our calls are directional calls. We did one where it was um, light and dark. So we had the light side and the dark side. Light side was to the left, dark side was to the right, because there's an L and there's an R. Um, you know, I think we, we ended up doing, I think we had Vader for one of them. Yeah, Luke and Vader. Uh, was, was another one. Um, so we just, we were coming up with 
you know, whatever we could in the most goofiest of ways, just to see if it would get picked up uh, by the mics and everything. When do you know it's over, Nick? When is a player that you know this is it, it's over? Um, I think it's different for everybody, which is, uh, I think it's unique for every person. For me, it was, uh, I had gotten hurt. Um, found out I was on IR when I was sitting at the airport um, bar, uh, staring at the, the TV screen. Um, so that kind of sucks. So that, that's how I knew it was over for that season. Uh, when it was done, you know, I was doing rehab. My foot was uh, back to normal. Um, this was late, late spring. It was kind of this abstract, like, do you want to play football? And as soon as I was released, it was like, yeah, of course I want to play football. Like, that's, that's what I do. I play football. Um, and it was always the abstract. Like, I, it was never a real thing. And then I ended up getting a, um, a, a credible offer from Baltimore. Um, and it came down to a point where was I comfortable enough with my foot I thought my foot felt pretty good, but, you know, it, it had, I think I had a 30, doctor put it like a 30% chance of happening again. I was like, ah, that's a, that's a big chance. Um, and then, you know, I've been with my kids now, you know, I got cut in February. Um, and so I didn't do any spring workouts or anything. So I'd been with my kids and my son was in kindergarten at the time. And if I signed the contract, I would have to go that Monday to Baltimore because they were having their mandatory minicamp. And I was going to miss my son's kindergarten graduation. Um, and then, so that's when it got real. Like, do you want to play football? Um, and to me, it, it was more of a, um, you know, A, still not fully sure that I'm healthy. But then B, um, you know, I played for one team for 11 years. And I found that to be pretty special. Um, and I was enjoying my time with my kids. And I was like, you know what, if I do it, I'm not going to be, 100% in, and I don't want to do anything that I'm not 100% on. Um, and so at that point, I was like, yeah, I think I'm done. Maybe if something comes around, um, I, I might steal a couple of checks. Um, but then I, I decided later on that I, I couldn't do that either. It was like, no, that's not good. So, you know, being able to say that I only played for the Jets, um, you know, ended up being pretty special for me. Awesome, man. All right, Nick, we're going to get you out here on what we like to call a hustle round. I am going to give you two options, and you are going to give the one that you prefer. You cannot take longer than three seconds, or it's bad luck for seven years. You ready? Okay. All right. Wings, drums or flat? Drums. Doritos, Cooler Ranch or Nacho Cheese? Nacho Cheese. Ranch or Blue Cheese? Ranch. Better Pizza, Chicago or New York? New York. French fries or onion rings? French fries. Better teammate, Ryan Fitzpatrick or Brett Favre? Uh, Fitz. Uh, better looking, Mark Sanchez or Tom Brady? Uh, Tom Brady. Mark's ugly. <laughs> better football movie, Remember the Titans or Any Given Sunday? Uh, remember the Titans. Beer or wine? Wine. Lake or ocean? Ocean. Favorite Ohio-born celebrity, Dave Chappelle or George Clooney? Dave Chappelle. Steam room or sauna? Sauna. Money or fame? Money. All right, Nick Mangold, thank you for joining the Endless Hustle podcast. Don't forget to go out and buy 74 barbecue sauce, gourmet barbecue sauce, and put that on your favorite ribs or any, any sort of meat. Thank you, Nick. Put it on anything. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Nick, thanks for having fun with everything, man. You were awesome. Yo, Nick is 
freaking hilarious. That was such a great interview. The thing that I was dying just re-listening to it was I totally forgot about the Tim Tebow, Lolo Jones story and how she tweeted something like, ask Tebow if he wants a glass of milk. And if he says yes, ask him if he likes chocolate. I'm like, oh my God, Tim Tebow, Lolo Jones. Who remembers that? <laughs> Meanwhile, Tebow's now married to a former Miss Universe and uh, he's done pretty well for himself. I'm, I'm guessing the V card is gone at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like in internet years, that was like a billion years ago, but I think that was 2012. And of course, Olympic hurdler Lolo Jones said that she came out as a virgin. So of course, an NFL football locker room is going to be like, yo, Tebow's a virgin too. So that whole thing blew up on Twitter. And then Lolo said, stop sending me Tebow date suggestions unless he likes chocolate milk. So the next day, Mangold came in with a, he likes chocolate milk shirt and address the media. So, I mean, that was something that I don't think gets talked about enough. But then again, it was 40 million internet years ago. I mean, Tim Tebow will always be relevant. That guy will never go away as long as we live. I mean, yeah. And, and as, as far as Mangold, they say never meet your heroes because they could turn out to be awful. But I think what's worse is finding out your enemies are actually good people. And then you lose an enemy and have to find someone else to hate, which is take some sweat equity and is daunting in itself. So that's the position I'm in right now, learning that Nick Mangold is actually a sweetheart. So please, everyone, just respect my privacy at this time. I mean, you can't not love a guy who had a pet alligator at college. <laughs> that's the guy that you partied with in college. Yeah, he's a blue-collar dude. And you could tell that guy, even throughout his career, it's like he was always the same guy. I think kind of like Tebow, too. It takes a certain... Uh, certain amount of character to just be who you are uh throughout all you know throughout being such a high profile figure like like the both of them we also have a great upcoming guest this thursday matt super excited we have uh eagle safety hard-hitting safety rodney mcleod you know i can't wait to share this interview with people he was just awesome and taking his inside his house showing us paintings. Matt, I think people are going to really dig this talk with Rodney McLeod and his stylist, Ine Ipke. Yeah, man. I mean, we learned about fashion. We learned about football. We learned about the Black Last Supper painting of Rodney. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was great. And for you at home, please make sure to subscribe so you'll be able to listen to next episode on Thursday as soon as it drops. Follow us on Twitter at Endless Double underscore Hustle and Instagram at Endless Hustle Pod. And if you want to get in touch with me and Arthur, you can follow me at Mr. Cohan, K-E-O-H-A-N. And I'm at Arthur Cade, A-R-T-H-U-R-K-A-D-E. And on Twitter, it's me, Arthur Cade, same spelling. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back on Thursday with Rodney McLeod and Ine Ikpeg.